it bothers me when I'm listening to things that sound too interviewee. If it's on the yeah. news or something, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but I prefer in podcasts just having kind of a natural conversation because it always feels awkward when somebody gives this kind of profound statement and then the person is like, okay, so, and then, yeah, you know, yeah, it yeah. like totally changes the subject or right. leaves the threat of it. So, but I, I can introduce us and you. So this sure. is... The Accidental Muralist Podcast. I believe this is episode seven. And today my guest is my daughter, Elena. Elena Concier Ramos. She's 27 and I'll let her maybe introduce a little bit about herself, but we, we have a lot of things on our mind these days. And um, one thing we do when we have things on our mind is we talk to each other. Another thing we do is we write, not not to each other necessarily, but just personally in journals and blogs. She's also a budding blogger and mini book or zine writer. So, um, and today we wanted to talk about enough. That is our topic. And I wrote a few months ago, I was just looking back in my blog because I remembered that I wrote a blog post not long ago, it was during COVID-19, about enoughness. I think what we're talking about today is a little bit different. What I talked about then was more like, I, th I felt like people were getting down on themselves for not doing enough and s because of this whole crazy pandemic. So in that post, it was more like, you know, just know that you are enough and here's some things you can do to strengthen that but we have we have something kind of different in mind so Elena maybe give a little you could tell like where you live and what what you're up to these days in the world and then um, why you chose this topic sure hi <laughs> everybody um, I'm Elena I'm Pam's daughter I grew up in Oakland California but I'm currently in Vancouver, BC, in Canada, uh, where I went to school, which is also uh, known as uh, Coast Salish territory. Specifically, I'm on Musqueam land, where I live. Um, Thank you for saying that. Can, let me interrupt because I gave myself a challenge in my last podcast, in my last blog post about doing land acknowledgement on my podcast. So thank you for reminding me. I am in Chinook speaking territory of the Cowlitz and Clackamas people, um, also known as Portland, Oregon. Yeah, we appreciate their stewardship for hundreds and hundreds of years and up through to the present and into the future. And um, yeah, thanks for reminding me to acknowledge the land. And Canada is way ahead of the United States in doing that and recognizing where we are situated. So, okay. Um, yeah, Canada, that's something that I noticed when I moved here was that they do that at almost all big ceremonies. Um, and it's not enough <laughs> for our topic, um, but it is something. <laughs> I think yeah. my experience, first experience with, with that was at your at UBC at probably like the opening 
convocation or whatever they called the opening thing. Yeah, I had not yeah. even seen that before. So it's definitely something. Um, but yeah, I am currently not employed in the traditional sense. I was furloughed from my job in Oakland at the end of March and from that decided to move back up to Vancouver. And since then I've sort of been, I guess over the past year anyway, I've sort of been putting my little toes into a bunch of different things, interests, hobbies. And so I've sort of been continuing to do that. Uh, so some of those things include, I guess, writing, as you mentioned, uh, I'm trying to dabble in little various art type things, a lot of which I, a lot of pieces, which I have from or because of you, because you tend to pass those on <laughs> here and there. And I've been doing different smaller project type things around social racial justice. I started a couple small groups via email and WhatsApp to sort of continue those conversations and share information. So that's all been really cool and fun for me. And it takes up a lot of my time. But what I've found recently, especially is that I go through the cycles almost every day these days of feeling like I'm not doing enough. And that looks different on different days, what enough means, enough of X, Y, Z, um, but it's been a general anxiety of mine in the past, but very prominent recently. So that's one of the reasons I thought it would be interesting to talk with you about it. Yeah. So what you just described does sound kind of like what I wrote about a while back. Well, it's a little, I think there's a few things at play with you. One is that you're a college graduate a few years out, but still kind of in that phase of figuring out a career path or that kind of thing. And you've, you've done different jobs here and there. And then there's also COVID, which has been a weird thing for everybody and the racial justice things, which is also an area where it's easy to feel like we're never doing enough. Are those some of, would you say that all three of those things are kind of contributing? Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's a significant time right now because all of those things are sort of colliding in a very unique way. And we're seeing that impact individually as for me, as you just described, but also on much larger scales through various aspects of the world right now. And one other, so there is that, and we'll talk more about that. And then there's an, the, another side, or maybe this is the pressure that makes this all feel anxiety riddled, is that we live in a culture definitely in the United States. It's probably true in Canada, maybe not quite as extreme. Um, where people are never really asked to think about how much is enough. We, we don't really use enoughness as a measuring stick. It's 
it's really only like eyes on the prize. It, it's just this concept of like you go as far as you can go. You amass as much wealth as you can get. You achieve as much in your job as you can. You you know save as much money as you can. You go as you know everything is just like there's no there's no end. We don't ever talk about like this would be a good this would be a good plateau to just hang out at. <laughs> like when you do that, you kind of appear like a slacker or you're not ambitious or you know, you don't have goals or something. And actually Mark, my partner, um, I'm, I know you know who he is, but just for our listening audience, he's actually someone who's really good at that. He He's in an IT job where he could have gone to be, you know, kind of climb the ladder and he made a choice a really long time ago that he didn't want to do that because he really values his free time and he wanted a lot of time on the river and you know, so I kind of admire that in him. Like he I think he on some level was thinking, you know, that's enough. I don't want that. I don't want to just keep climbing higher because he saw how many crazy hours those people worked. But in general, it's not it's not part of the conversation. Yeah, and it's also, I think, really rare for people to just to acknowledge it, that where they are, what they're doing is enough. But then, like you said with Mark, for him to take the extra step to actually outwardly decide, no, I don't want to get promoted or whatever. And I think that, yeah, the general idea of enoughness, while it's not necessarily defined, which is maybe a problem, but also I think that it's one of the hangups of enoughness is that it's different for everyone. Yeah, everyone will have their own limits maybe, or their own idea of what's enough or just that it, nothing is ever enough. And also it's weird to think about who decides what is enough, even for other people. I think a lot of people probably work themselves into the ground or do maybe too much because they have someone or something outside of them telling them that that's not enough. And I think that's where it gets really dangerous because we lose our own sense of where our limits are and what is enough for us. And so that's been something that I've been sitting with a lot for me is that I am trying to be comfortable with where I am. And I've gone back and forth a lot in the last couple months since I moved on um, whether I want to look for full-time jobs, how hard or how often I want to look for a job. And then that makes me think about why I'm looking for a job or what kind of job I would be looking for. And I have applied to some small things and they didn't end up working out. And from that, I've I've been okay with that. And so that is reminding me that I maybe just need to try to be comfortable with where I am and that for right now, at least it is enough. And I need to take time to put my energy towards what I want to be doing. So that's kind of where 
the space I'm at, but it's still, even though I'm acknowledged that that's where I want to be, it's still uncomfortable for me at times to be comfortable with where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like you're sitting around watching soap operas all day and eating bonbons, as is the, yeah. <laughs> the cliche. Um, because you are doing these things, but they're they're not paying you, which is the whole dilemma. You know, I've talked about that and written about that in other situations. Because you are, to some degree, and yet to be seen how much uh, how big a part of your life and work it will become. You are an artist and a writer, and those things are not, like nobody pays you a bunch of money to write in a journal or to draw things or, you know, and yet they are really important. And so it's easy, and I still struggle with this, and I've been, you know, a professional artist now for 12 years or something. Um, I still struggle with giving myself permission to do that because I'm somewhere in my brain I'm always thinking nobody's paying for me for this you know I spent like three hours this morning painting that mural in the stairwell and it was fun and I kind of I wrote a lot earlier this week another unpaid thing but a book I'm working on anyway my whole life is like doing things that a lot of the time I'm not getting paid for and yet having to tell myself either maybe someday it will pay and whether or not it does it's still important and the work you're doing which is kind of keeping the conversation going about racial justice and activism is really important you know, in some ways, it's like the most important thing right now that anybody could be doing. So, you know, we have to remind ourselves, we just have to be our own kind of cheerleaders and surround ourselves with people who appreciate the things that we are doing and recognize that they're important because, yeah, they are important. It's just, it's not in the American capitalist system it doesn't rank in importance because it doesn't earn a bunch of money and that's the only thing that that's the only scale we've grown up with is like how much money are you making and that on some level that we all understand equates with how important you are yeah and that's the thing too is i guess that is one if not the only scale that we have to measure success or enoughness but even then we see that you know, past a certain point, I don't remember the number, but past a certain income, money is not going to buy you more happiness. And then we still have people who have more money than they're ever going to need and, and they still don't feel like they have enough. And so why is that the scale that we go off of? Right. That, yeah, that feels yucky. Um, and I totally agree also with the surrounding yourself with people who acknowledge your that what you're doing is important and i think you like you said a lot of what you do is in the unpaid but important category so thank you for modeling that for me because i think that is a big contributor to why i am at least trying to feel okay with where i'm at um and so that's really big. And I also do have, I 
with these with the things that I've been doing, I have been getting good feedback and a lot of people who are supportive and that's really helpful. On the other hand, when I've come to dread the question, what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, especially nowadays, because that is the question when we do end up seeing people uh, and they know, my friends know that I don't have a traditional job, so that's the question. And I, again, while I feel like I'm doing useful things while I'm doing them, it's hard sometimes to translate that to the outside and kind of, I don't want to list necessarily everything that I'm doing throughout the day because it would sound a lot like, oh, I, I journaled and I read and I <laughs> did some research for this email and it, I like did a tarot reading this morning <laughs> for myself and it's not, but it just sounds very leisurely and that's not how I want to come across. And so I haven't really developed the language yet to translate it to I'm doing these things that are a good use of my time, but don't fit in with the all the boxes of things that are supposed to be a good use of your time. <laughs> right. And it's, it's a subversive act that is worth spending a little time thinking of, like how to answer that question. It it's everybody struggles with that question. I was in a business networking group for several years in Oakland, Berkeley area. And, you know, even people who have a business and it's clearly defined, they still struggle to communicate what they do. It would be a good exercise, I think, for you to craft a statement framing what you do, you know, just in a really honest way, like I'm an advocate for social justice could be part of it, um, wh whatever, you know, you can put the words to it, but it makes me think of your Aunt Debbie and Patty, who I've had on this show, who are, who are two people I've talked about this topic a lot with because they don't have, you know, nine to five jobs that fit into a nice container that everybody understands. So they, throughout the years, have struggled with how to answer that question too. And they're both doing really important work in the world, but it doesn't, you know, they have to kind of put it in language that makes sense. So that's a that's a good activity for everybody out there. <laughs> um, and for conversationalists, it makes me think of Vanessa Van Edwards, this the gal who did that happiness class, I think that we did. She has some really good um, tips for, you know, like, how to talk about what you're doing so that it's not just the same old stupid boring conversation over and over because who wants to have that again you know it it deadens me when i have to be in those conversations and and you are doing important work i also think thank you for acknowledging my role modeling um i also think of it with a long view and i think i've been pretty good about at this in my life i think maybe it's one of my little superpowers of that helped me a lot in teaching and parenting and recycling and <laughs> like waste reduction is that i don't i don't look at every tiny little act as just a tiny little act 
I see it forward as like the accumulation of doing that little tiny act 200,000 times in my life. Or, you know, in parenting, it was like, if I cave in to this little tantrum, not that you ever would have done that, Elena, but, you know, what is the message I'm sending? And how is that going to play out the next time this happens? And what could I do now that can have a long-term benefit and send teach the thing that I'm trying to teach so that in the future, my life will be easier and you'll be more you know, self-sufficient or whatever. And same with teaching. So when I'm working on things that nobody right now is paying me for, I still am thinking, like this book that I've been so obsessed with, you know, I'm writing this doodling guide. <laughs> I laugh because although I saw in Oprah magazine yesterday, the word doodle was in a headline. That's awesome. I'm, I'm a doodle Coming evangelist. Coming up more and more. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to elevate doodling to a respected art form and self-care mode, but I feel so obsessed with it. But also it's one of these things like I want, if I were to, you know, have a terrible accident or whatever, like it's something I want to have accomplished. And so it's motivating to me to do this writing because, you know, in 20 years, this is another long view way of framing things. Like, what will you have wanted to do? How will you have wanted to spend this time? And you could spend your time, you know, looking at wanteds and I don't know if those exist anymore, looking on Craigslist or wherever you look for jobs these days and, you know, applying for all these things that you're semi-interested in because you feel like you should be applying for jobs or spending time kind of looking inward and getting to know yourself better and, thinking about what's important to you in the world and how your voice can be used and, you know, doing that kind of work that in the long run is a lot more useful than just doing things that somebody else will think, oh yeah, I can relate to that. That sounds productive. Yeah. Well, the looking inside a few, a little while ago when you were talking, you mentioned looking inward and that's a lot of what I'm writing about in this book. And that's, that's what's missing. You were talking about when we measure ourselves according to somebody else's standards. And that is a, you know, imagine living your whole life that way. And then at the end of the life, your life, what have you done? Like, <laughs> and what could you have done that would have been really feeding your soul? And what did you choose to do instead? So that always motivates me too. like, what am I, what are my best skills, the things that motivate me? And, and you have to just kind of detach from the whole money power, you know, important standard that the world has taught us and just look inward. So I think you're modeling that. And the irony is you're doing something really important even in modeling it, but it's a struggle because it goes against what our society teaches. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I have seen a lot of things recently talking about how, uh, especially with all of the social justice uprising happening there are a lot of 
notes specifically by and for people of color, specifically black people online everywhere, reminding people to rest and take care of themselves and embedded within there, whether it's explicitly said or not, is that rest is a form of rebellion Mm -hmm. because our society is so busy and so obsessed with busyness and accomplishment. And while I also have been thinking a lot about how my specific position is I feel very privileged to be able to not work right now, which is another layer of all of this. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I'm in a position where I don't need to be earning money to survive at this moment. Um, And a lot of people do. And so that's a, that's a whole other side of this. Um, But yeah, in our, in the busyness culture, it is, an act of rebellion or dissent to even just slow down and rest and just do things differently, like you said, and yeah, just kind of rethink what is valuable and useful and contributes to the world, even if you're not getting paid for it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a, um, I'm going to get the opening quote of this book I'm working on is about that it looks like this nice very nice and it says making art which i would include writing or any it can be a pretty broad definition making art can be a subversive act an act of resistance against the deadening lure of consumption an act of unbridled peacemaking disguised as a poem or a song or an abstract rendering of an aspen leaf swirling in a stream. That's a quote by Mirabai Starr from a book, Wild Mercy. And I added, or a doodle. (laughs) That's a quote by me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we have to, if we want the world to change, we have to be the, the change, not to quote an overquoted thing, but like there's a reason why not many people do it because it's hard and there's peer pressure against it. And, you know, like it takes some internal fortitude to say, you know, I'm not going to jump on that hamster wheel. And, and what you were saying a minute ago about how you're in the fight, like you're fortunate to be in a financial situation right now, right now where you don't have to seek paid work immediately. Um, I use that, I'm in that situation too, and I use that as a strong motivator. Like I have this, just this amazing opportunity to, and I wanna make the most of it. Um, Because how many women in the history of humanity have been in this position, really? Like I think about that a lot. How many women have had the education, have, financial means, don't have seven kids to take care of, don't have, you know, like a husband who's brutalizing them and making them, you know, be a house slave. You know, just all the things that we, we're in this situation that is, it's almost feels unique in the history of humans. And yet, think of all the men in history, like philosophers who have just, sat under a tree thinking, and I'm kind of making that up, but I don't think I am making that up because I think there's a lot of philosophers and scientists and like, 
you know, like, and they were always thought of as wise sages, and it was okay for them to just sit under a tree and think, because yeah. their wife was cooking and taking care of the kids and everything, you know, and, and they had a lot of respect for doing that kind of intellectual work. Yeah, totally. Just let that sink in for a while, because, <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of what's in play here, is that we are women who have never really been allowed to just think <laughs> and make stuff. Yeah. Period. The end. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a big privilege in a lot of ways. And then acknowledging that also then is very humbling. And also depending on how I'm looking at it, it can be motivating definitely and then on the other side it's like well I gotta I gotta take advantage of this and I gotta do all these things and <laughs> you'll, I gotta never, and you'll never do enough I'm not you'll doing enough, enough. exactly <laughs> <laughs> and so then as well and so that ties into another well it kind of explains this cycle that I've been having is where I'm frustrated or i Really, it's a, it's a lot of guilt that, yeah, I'm not doing enough of whatever. So then I get anxious or I get unproductive, which obviously has the opposite effect because then I'm doing even less. So then I have to spend time and energy doing things like I've been doing more tarot, which is really cool, and just journaling and trying to meditate on and off and stuff like that, which kind of brings me back to reminding myself that it is enough. So that's helpful, but then it's also just so much wasted energy that I've spent on feeling guilty or convincing myself that, reconvincing myself that it is enough after I've been feeling like it's not enough. And so, yeah, there are times where I am very unproductive because I get trapped in guilt cycles for yeah, many different reasons. And I don't know if I um, if I said this to you, I, or I texted this to uh, my gal Teresa the other day because I had been thinking about it and needed to tell someone. I said, I was frustrated with capitalism just in general and feeling bad about not earning money. So I was wondering what would it, what would it look like? What would the world look like if everyone was only required to make enough money because money is still important in this society so we need some of it but what would it look like if everyone was only responsible for earning enough money to live and then you know if you want to work more sure why not but raise the minimum wage do whatever so people don't have to work their butts off just to survive and then maybe people would have extra time to do other things and write more stuff and have energy that's not wasted on stressing about having having enough money for food or for rent or stressing about feeling guilty about anything whatever and they have that extra energy to spend on other things i think that was part of the or is part of the reasoning behind andrew yang's basic minimum income universal yeah, universal income. Universal basic income, something like that. Is <laughs> something to like 
to alleviate that baseline survival anxiety and you know getting healthcare out of unconnected to jobs so that people don't have to stay in jobs they hate that's just the most and if if people had like just a basic amount of money to live and but we'd have to have the mental shift along with it because our culture is still so achievement oriented that it would take a while and this is where I think we just need more modeling. We just need more people doing it and then other people seeing those people doing it and then feeling like they have permission to do it to just kind of jump off the hamster wheel and, you know, actually spend time thinking and hanging out with their friends. And Yeah, I had that conversation recently with a couple friends, I think, out of we we're talking about Andrew Yang's specific uh, proposal for universal income and one friend was arguing how that would it takes away the motivation for some people if you're getting if you're guaranteed this money what's motivating you to do something or contribute um, and I get that and that that I guess would come from the culture shift but then so then I was there and I said yes I don't disagree with you but I but I am one person who would greatly benefit from a universal income because it would take away that worry and I would have more motivation to be doing what I am already doing without the guilt of not earning money, essentially. Yeah, and I've, I've thought about, and I've written about this too, how art and capitalism are incompatible, really, in my mind. So I've had this idea, which is, you know, kind of, we're just brainstorming here, right? My <laughs> word for the year is imagining, imagination. We have to imagine better systems. And they, they, everything that's been invented started out as some crazy notion. And then, you know, over time it gets accepted. So who knows? Um, and actually this, this notion is a very ancient one. One time recently, I just had this thought, like, I just need a billionaire. Like I need mm -hmm. to be sponsored by somebody. Yeah, You know, we were living in Oakland and Silicon Valley is down the road and there are so many people there who are making so much more money than they know what to do with. And so why, because this was at a time where I was doing like 12 murals a year and writing my own grants and, you know, doing everything and barely making, you know, I was paying the mortgage, which was amazing, but I was barely... It was just, you know, I was hustling all the time and it was kind of crazy because it was hard to even take time to stop and appreciate the thing that we just did because I had to keep, and this is partly my nature, just like looking at the next thing. And But the thing that bugged me the most is that I was rustling up the funding for all these things. I was almost funding my own projects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet, you know, it was changing the city and neighborhoods and changing people's yeah. lives who worked on them and creating, yeah. you know, so much value. And people wouldn't have even noticed that 5000 or $10,000 or something if it got deducted from one of their paychecks to support that. And that's right. an old concept of, you know, like um, patrons. There used to be Artists used to sometimes even live in the palace or whatever of some wealthy person and, you know, paint portraits of the family, but also take other work. And it's not mm -hmm. a new idea, but maybe it needs to come back. 
And I've thought, you know, I've spent some time thinking about this and writing and brainstorming about it. And this is the first time I'm saying it publicly, but I've actually thought about starting some organization. Maybe it's a clearinghouse of, I picture always Silicon Valley women. Um, I don't know why, but you know, just like matching people so that yeah. you have a year's worth of enough which right. isn't that much, you which know, isn't you, much really it's not that all. much. You just want to be able to not worry about, you know, how long it's going to last or how, and then do your thing. And then, you know, I was thinking in the context of murals, like I'm, I'll put their name on the plaque. I'll, you know, mm -hmm. I don't mind bringing, yeah, you know, sponsored by so-and-so. Yeah. And you know, some people might think that's sleazy and corporate and whatever, but I'm thinking of it not as corporate sponsorship, but like personal, somebody's personal wealth because they have so much more than they need, so much more than enough right. could go to, and you know, when I think about it in this term, like I am not the person who really needs that. There are so many more pe people who need it more than me, but it could just start somewhere, you know, like just this idea of, Spreading, spreading yeah, the wealth. That's a really cool idea. You should definitely start that. Well, I've said it out loud now on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but there's yeah. something about it, right? Like it feels like a win-win. Yeah, and I think that there are people who would go for something like that. May I'm also maybe just because you said it, but I'm also picturing women. I think they might be more <clears> likely to do that. Yeah, and something I it, that is really important to me is when I spend money, I try to be very, very mindful of where I put that money and where it's going, who it's going to. And so I think there are definitely people like that in the corporate and tech worlds. <laughs> we just need a match, a matching system <laughs> for artists and writers. Why not? Until that happens, we can start heading towards wrapping up. I think we've mm -hmm. covered a lot of good topics of getting people to think about enough you know maybe maybe our listeners have but we're not really trained to do that and yeah and there's so much fear i think there's fear wrapped up in what if it's not enough you know we don't trust ourselves enough or we don't understand how to live more simply or something so i understand why that it's there's resistant to it resistance to it but but um, I would like to challenge our audience to think about and maybe even do some writing about like what would be how much money do you really need to live for a year let's say just for our because we were talking about that in in our billionaire matched with an artist scenario yeah how much does it cost to live for a year and what are the things if you slowed down that you could do without that aren't really adding value to your life but maybe they're like shoulds or everybody else is you know taking that vacation to wherever even though you'd rather go berry picking for a couple days on your vacation you know we we get so caught yeah. up in what we're supposed to do that just looking inward at what is really important to us and it's a radical question like several people have posed the question of you know what would your ideal day look like or you know in three years from now if you have a little business what do you want your week to look like and that's a really hard question to answer and sometimes I think we know but in my experience, 
it feels I it feels layered with shoulds like oh I can't you know I can't say that because it's gonna sound lazy yeah it's gonna sound lazy or it's like too good to be true and it's not realistic not realistic yeah 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 and I think we've talked a lot about enough money but I think yeah also what you're getting at is enough in terms of what you're doing with your day or anything like that so yeah like monetarily what would be enough but also what would be enough maybe to just do with your life and that's so subjective both from an individual perspective and from an outside perspective what people are gonna put on you and tell you in various ways if you're doing enough or not and that's their problem and something I've been trying to remind myself of what as I'm going through this is that I don't owe anyone except myself my own definition of what enough is and so as much as I can feel guilty about this or that it's also only really my problem <laughs> and I'm sensitive to that sort of thing as I know you are too so I'm gonna go through a lot of self-criticism project a lot of things that honestly probably might not even be real <laughs> but I don't know anything really to anyone except myself and yeah. that's also a very radical <laughs> rebellious idea I think and a privileged one probably as well but I don't think it is privileged I I think it is radical and revolutionary well I'm looking at that quote that I said earlier it's a subversive act an act of resistance against the deadening lure of consumption and I think I think this is something that we take the responsibility for but I think there are forces at work in our capitalist system that are very intentionally creating this system of consumption for us so that we will be so busy buying things. And the, one of the most impactful 20 minutes I've ever watched of a video, and I've probably seen it five times, but not for a while, I should watch it again, is the story of stuff. Do you remember mm. that? I think I it came out when I've... you were in like fourth grade or something. And I was shocked that it's so good. So everybody needs to go watch it. It's the, a really well spent 20 minutes. And part of what was shocking in it is how intentional things like planned obsolescence, you know, we're going to create this product that people will like enough but then we're going to make it so it doesn't last that long, but they're already kind of attached to it so that they will go buy another one. Mm -hmm. And in wow. this way, we can keep the engines of, you know, it's materialism so and consumerism and capitalism going. And it was very intentional. Like they have in and they weren't even trying to hide it. You know, there's like in the in that video and I've seen this in other places too there's like records of meetings of where they made this marketing plan of how they were going to do that and I'm jumping now into white supremacy but white supremacy and capitalism are so closely intertwined mm -hmm. and same thing there like you know things are so intentional I think it was from seeing white that seeing white podcast there's just mm -hmm. things in there where we think, like we take all this responsibility, like, you know, why am I so 
hung up on what people think and achievement and like we take it as though we invented it but this is a system that was so intentionally created to get us to be like good little soldiers who are who are buying things and then need to earn more money so they can buy more things and and like, then feel guilty if we're not. Yeah, and it was very intentional. So I think part of what we can do for ourselves is forgive ourselves for buying into it or being hoodwinked. <laughs> yeah. And yet also it's like it was a really effective system. Yeah, totally. And we're the proof of it. So, you know, it's not all because we're so weak or prone to peer pressure. Like it was... Yeah, it was a very calculated pressure. Yeah, and that's the theme of so many things that are being exposed right now or have been being exposed for decades is that it's all been intentional, but it's not our fault. And part of trying to fix it is just forgiving ourselves and trying to be better while yeah, acknowledging the problem while not being bogged down by the guilt. Um, but it's a hard first step, I guess. Right. And I try to acknowledge like, wow, that was a really six, like those people did a great job, <laughs> those inventors yeah. of white supremacy and capitalism. Yeah, no kidding. And so now that is a challenge for us. Like we can also be that clever, but in mm -hmm. service of humanity and kindness and and love. love and a world that is inclusive and you know where people don't stomp on each other to make more money and then still have this giant hole in their soul because it's never enough and you know yeah yeah that's the challenge we can be just as imaginative as they were yeah and continue to be yeah so any any final thoughts i don't think so I just want to tell you that you are doing enough and you are enough just the way you are. Thank you. You have to say that because you're my mother. But I don't have to say that because not all mothers say that. <laughs> That's true. I know that you mean it either yeah, way. Yeah, I do mean it and I do believe it. And I think even though you feel like you often are not doing enough, I think you can own it and in in owning it and the things that you are doing you can be a role model for other people to spend time doing things that are important to them and not let themselves be measured by how much money they're earning and how important and high profile their job is and how big their house is and all those things thanks and like i said you are you have been and are continue to be a good model for that too so thanks so we can end on this note of mutual admiration <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah why not yeah we are both enough we are both enough and we're doing enough and yeah and our listeners we also want you to know that you are enough all right, so there you have it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Accidental Muralist podcast, which, by the way, is another thing that I do that nobody pays me for, but it feels important, and I'm happy to do it. Um, it I just wanted to follow up by saying that in the 24 hours or so since Elena and I recorded that, we both, on 
on our respective sides have been second guessing some things that we said and she's feeling like I didn't mean to sound like having if you have a nine to jo five job that that's not okay and and on my end I was imagining all the counter arguments to everything I was saying and <laughs> all I can say about all that is I think that that is proof of the system that we were raised in and how strong those voices are in our heads so I'm going to stand by what we said as a I hope it just spurs some conversation if nothing else this was an incomplete conversation there we didn't say everything on the topic that we could have said um, but I think it's important for us to be having new conversations about how we could live. So thanks again for listening. And if you would like to find out more about my work or to get these podcast episodes delivered conveniently to your inbox, along with um, blog posts and other information, please go to allhandsart.com and sign up for my email list.